Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law. We thank you for joining us this evening. 2021 is over, and it became a challenging year for many of us who were forced to confront COVID-related health, work, and family issues. The year was also challenging for our communities for another critical reason, increasing gun violence and a record year for gun shooting fatality. During that year, Durham broke its record for the most homicides in a single year with a total of 45 fatalities. Not only did deaths from gun violence increase, but other violent crime rates increased as well. The gun violence incident included shootings at uh, South Point Mall. One occurred on November 26th, the day after Thanksgiving, and the busiest shopping day of the year. And there was the tragic fatal shooting at the beginning of December when two young people died when the SUV that they were driving in was fired upon during the early mornings in a Durham residential area. In that incident, four other young people in the SUV, ranging from age 12 to 17, were also shot and injured. Last month, we discussed these issues with the Durham County District Attorney, Santana DeBerry, and Sheriff Clarence Burkey. Tonight, we are renewing that discussion with the newly appointed Durham Police Chief, Patrice Andrews, in a continuing discussion about crime in Durham and how the police department is seeking to enhance its efforts to reduce crime in general and gun violence in particular. So we want to thank Chief Andrew for joining with us, and we welcome you to, uh, to this discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, and certainly thank you for making time and, and, and providing the space. So I'm looking forward to it. Well. Uh, unfortunately, our conversation is all about crime uh, because that's what the uh, police department uh, deals with. But let me kind of get a little personal uh, with you at the uh, outset and ask you if you could just share some of that uh, rich, rich background history of yours uh, with, uh, with our audience and uh, what led you to want to come back to Durham as its uh, police chief. Mm, yes. So uh, Cliff Notes version. Uh, I, uh, you know, I grew up in, in Chapel Hill. That's where I grew up. However, my father is from Durham and I still have family here in Durham. And, and of course, I attended the North Carolina Central University uh, for my undergrad uh, education. And, you know, there is something to be said about the feeling of where you belong. And I have always felt that while I, you know, I, I was raised in Chapel Hill, I spent a lot of my time in Durham, remember 
you know, Creston, Shirley Street, Hickstown community when it was the dirt road. And then, you know, my grandparents and the, the love that they had for this community that also translated to um, the love that my father um, has for Durham. And then he passed that along to me just through experiences and learning the rich history um, of our of our beautiful community. And so, you know, when I, I when I came back to Durham, there was no question for me about whether or not I was coming back. I often say that um, my steps are ordered. You know, our steps are ordered uh, and, and we often don't know which direction we're going to go, but he does. He knows. And uh, and so I feel that, uh, you know, my my path and my journey um, has led me to this moment and this time here uh, with you now. Uh, I will say that I did start my law enforcement career in Durham in 1997. And I rose through the ranks, um, held various positions in the office of the chief, as well as in special operations division, criminal investigations division, uniform patrol and uh, warrant squad, and, and really learned a lot about each one of those positions. And so um, I, I left briefly in 2015 for um, Morrisville, for the town of Morrisville as their police chief. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm back now here with you today. And I, I, feel, I feel good. I feel really good about being home. Well, we feel good about having you back home where, where you belong, uh, as they uh, would say. But can you kind of talk to our audience a little bit about the... Uh, the differences in the uh, experiences that uh, you've had as the chief in, in Morrisville, and now you are beginning as the chief here uh, in Durham. And those are two different uh, environments, although they're like two seconds apart uh, from, uh, from each other. So what are the major differences from, from a law enforcement uh, perspective uh, that, uh, that you're aware of? Yeah, so you know, in in um, in Morrisville, as a police officer, I mean, you often ask police officers what it is that they they want to do, and, and why do you get into this profession? For me, it was there was a uh, I, I wanted to uh, have some stability, um, but slowly it became to really wanting to to serve. And uh, during the time I was here in Durham, it was difficult to serve because the pace is so quick. You know, it's really difficult to, to, to get to the why things happen and what, what can we do to help that victim through what they were going through. In Morrisville, the pace is slower. Um, you know, police work is, is about the same. The foundation of police work is the same. Um, but it really did afford me the opportunity to be able to connect, you know, personally connect with with our community in Morrisville. There are tremendous cultural differences, right? Um, you know, and in that I actually grew tremendously. It also taught me the value of paying attention to what's happening in the world around you um, and, and never sitting back and saying, well, it's not happening here. Because at the end of the day, there is no, you know, invisible bubble or barrier that keeps things from happening in any one community. And so what it allowed me to, to do was the opportunity to, to prepare myself and my staff 
um, for, you know, to for things that might happen uh, in Morrisville that were happening across the country. Uh, and also be able to to have some of those those critical conversations with my team that I probably would have been it would have been difficult to have anywhere else because of time and because it was so quick, fast paced. All right. Well, let, let me you know throw out another little little bonus uh, here uh, for you. Uh, this area and during this time, uh, we have seen the uh, emergence of uh, Women as uh, police chiefs uh, in uh, this uh, in this area, and more particularly African American uh, police chiefs uh, in uh, in this uh, area. And of course, uh, you were a groundbreaker uh, in Durham uh, as you uh, worked through uh, all of the uh, barriers that uh, women uh, confronted were confronted with. Uh, there, can you kind of talk about the uh, uh, that history and I guess the uh, uh, opportunity and honor that you have to serve now as uh, the what second uh, female uh, police chief here uh, in uh, in Durham. Yes, yeah, so I will tell you, being a woman in any male dominate a woman in any male dominated profession is is a great responsibility because you have the responsibility of of carrying forth and making sure that as women, um, we, are, we are, uh, are, are living up to the standard that we set our, ourselves to. Um, but also that we are putting forward a good example of, of you know, what women can be in any given profession. Um, you know, for, for me, most certainly it had been a long road. Um, you know, when I started here in Durham, you know, as a black woman, so first of all, you you are, there were very few of us. As a matter of fact, uh, Chief Pat Norris at that time, uh, you know, she was the chief in uh, Winston-Salem, <clears throat> excuse me, and then Chief Deck Brown in Raleigh, you know, and then I had other mentors with Pat Bazemore. And, um, you know, one of the things that I always learned from them was being your genuine self, uh, you know, as a woman and not trying to be something else or someone else. The difficulty I had, though, was the duality of being a black woman, um, because I came through in a time where, you know, there was it was policing, policing. You lock you lock them up. You arrest your way out of crime. And this is what it is. And these are our marching orders. Right. And so it was oft, often difficult for me as a black woman to be able to to see the justice in that. Right. Because the only difference that I, I had at you know, that point in time from me to anyone that we were arresting was simply, I was not the person being put in handcuffs, but it also allowed me to, to start to really plant those seeds to change, right? So a long time ago, I knew uh, that there was a need for change and reform in this profession. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. Didn't quite know how that looked, but I knew that I wanted to be a part of that. So the irony of it is, is here I am, uh, and and in the roles that I've I've held uh, within within this agency as well as in Morrisville, of great responsibility, um, of of being the person to affect that change, but also being the person to say, when I take this uniform off. I am a black woman, 
and I can be stopped. I can be stopped anywhere because people treat you different when you're in the uniform. And that is something that, you know, my white counterparts will never understand, right? And we have to be very real about that. And so that's, you know, for me, the responsibility of that is, yes, it is, I am extremely honored to be where I am and humbled in, in, to be true, um, you know, because I have stood on the shoulders of giants that have come before me. And I know the sacrifices that, that have been made in order for me to be where I am, but that doesn't stop just with me. So I know that there is a lot of responsibility, that there is sacrifice, that there is, you know, the 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 onus on me to be the truth teller uh, and the and the reformer using the platform that I have. Um, Chief Andrews, to have you expand upon that just a little bit more. So can you talk about how being a black woman informs your approach to law enforcement and your perspective of the role of law enforcement in our communities, particularly when we're thinking about uh, marginalized communities, black and brown communities, and, and the inherent distrust that understandably exists because of the harmful relationships and dynamics that we've seen with law enforcement in these communities. Mm, yeah. So, so um, you know, I am able to one have had personal experiences with, with you know, kind of bad encounters with other law enforcement officers that I know, really the foundation of those was most likely because of the color of my skin. Um, I'm able to view what not to do through the lens of professional and personal um, perspectives. I have had family members, you know, I, that that have a distrust in law enforcement, and that's a real thing. So the fear that a black man has when those lights go on behind him, right? The fear that, as you know, a mother of of you know brown children, you know, my my children, that's a real fear, and so that in itself does guide the conversations that I have with my staff. Um, and, and, and quite frankly, they're very unapologetic, unafraid conversations and reminding all of them the importance of, of just because it doesn't happen to you or it will never happen to you because of the skin that you're born in does not mean that it doesn't happen and it isn't someone's reality. And we have to own that, right? Because there's a whole history of policing and law enforcement in the South um, that wasn't too long ago because we still have generations of, of people that, that experienced that. Uh, and so for me, I think it's because of this, this different personal lens that I'm able to view the world through, um, I'm also able to speak about it from, from experience. When you started out your, your tenure here uh, in, in Durham as the chief, uh, and I want to just commend you uh, for reaching out to the community uh, and having uh, sessions with community groups and, uh, and organizations uh, about uh, your role, your expectations, what it is that you're uh, planning uh, to do. Can you kind of talk about the reception that you've received thus far? From uh, from people in the community, many of whom you already know, 
Uh, but obviously, uh, new 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 actors uh, coming in that you're not necessarily acquainted uh, with uh, uh, previously. So, can you kind of just talk about that reception? Yeah. So it it has been um, overwhelmingly just really a positive um, welcome back from people that I've known, but also people that I am getting to know. Um, I call those folks my my new family. So. You know, I but I also think there there is that welcome back, but then there's the pause and saying, okay, now it's time to get to work. Right. And and the the you know, what are you going to do? Because just simply you being a black woman in uniform does not cure everything that ails us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't solve all the problems that we have that exist. Um, so, so what, what are you going to do to show and prove, um, uh, that, that we can work together? And so for me, it really is just about, it's listening, um, more than responding. It's being very transparent and open about the, you know, what, what we aren't doing well, but, but also to what we can do better. And so that, for me is how the conversations have been going. They haven't been the most comfortable. There have been some that have been a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. I'm, I'm okay with uncomfortable as long as on the back end of it, we can we can find a solution. Okay. This is the uh, Legal Legal re- Review, and uh, we're talking uh, this evening with uh, Police Chief uh, Patrice Andrews. Uh, we're welcoming her back to Durham, but we're also talking for the fact that uh, she comes in at a very critical and crucial time in the growth and development of this uh, community. We're going to take our break uh, right now. I want you to uh, stay with us as we uh, continue uh, this uh, discussion with uh, Chief Andrews. So we'll be right back. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and here is your Legal Eagle Review Spotlight. Continuing the discussion on gun violence, here are some facts and statistics regarding it. Gun violence is considered violence committed with the use of firearms, for example, pistols, shotguns, and machine guns. The city of Durham, North Carolina, is of no exception from the growing trends seen in the rest of the country, with more than two-thirds of major cities experiencing an increase in homicides in 2021. Last year, there were 693 mass shooting incidents in the United States. On average, in the state of North Carolina, 529 people are murdered and 1,322 injured with the use of guns. You might ask, what is being done to curb these rising numbers? Well, in North Carolina, universal background checks are required for the purchase of handguns, child access prevention laws, domestic violence gun laws, and partial gun owner licensing. Similar to a lot of states in the country, this state has room for improvement to catch up with states with stricter gun laws, such as having stronger concealed carry laws, large capacity magazine bans, and assault weapon restrictions. Under federal law, people are generally prohibited from purchasing or possessing firearms if they have been convicted of a felony or some domestic violent misdemeanors. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this was your Legal Eagle Review Spotlight. 
Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we uh, continue our discussion with uh, Chief uh, Patrice uh, Andrews, the chief of the Maryland Police uh, Department, and comes into this position at a very critical time. One of the things that uh, that the statistics show is that Durham has had a uh, record year uh, dealing with uh, gun violence. Uh, 45 people uh, died in uh, 2021 uh, during the uh, pandemic uh, resulting from uh, gun violence itself. And then uh, the crime rate uh, in the city has, uh, is also spiraling. Uh, what, what, what are the challenges that you see, uh, Chief, in dealing with this escalating uh, gun violence uh, within the uh, uh, in, in in the community, and, and, and what are the ways to address that issue uh, and to reduce those incidents? So I think the, the you know one of the biggest challenges is uh, is is being able to organize. So I will tell you, the city of Durham is is rich with you know, boots on the ground organizations that, uh, that provide resources, um, you know, to, 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 to really help address quality of life issues. And so what we do know about crime and really violent crime is that it is a kind of a, a symptom of a, of a greater issue, right? And, and so, um, you know, when we talk about the police department and reduction of violent crime. What we know is that we can enforce, and there are also community-based, you know, programs that we have. But we also know that 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 there is more to it than that. That we are not necessarily equipped on our own to do. And so that's where we really start connecting and being this conduit for. Um, bringing folks together who can help us put together this puzzle um, of, of healing. And so when we talk about our, our mental health um, advocacy groups, and um, those are groups that touch the youth. And so we really need to look at it from, from that standpoint. And that's how we, we start to move forward to addressing our violent crime. So Chief Andrews, you mentioned that um, violent crimes, violence is a symptom of greater issues. Can you talk about what is causing, what are these underlying issues that are causing the gun violence where we need to have community come together to address? You know, our children are not able to see past the moment that they're in. And uh, I and I really do believe that it goes back to, um, you know, our, our children just not having the support. And it doesn't mean, and when I say that, it doesn't mean that they don't have, that they, they, they have parents that are, that are absent, right? Or that don't care about them. What it really means is that, you know, there are needed resources there because those parents have to work. Right. Money doesn't grow on trees. And and when our children aren't supported by the entire village, 
um, that's when we start to see, you know, crime occurring, criminality, um, behaviors that put them into a higher risk category. Uh, and I think that's that really is some of the start to it. And we talk about access and, you know, we're not that the, the kids are not able to to go and, you know, go to the after school programs because there might not be access to those after school programs. And that's when the idle hands come into play. Well, you know, when 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 you look at uh, the demographics of of, of Durham, uh, for the large part, it's it's us, uh, and it's 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 disappointing that we find ourselves in the position that we're in, having to report on the the statistics that uh, we're confronted uh, with here, uh, and 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 this is a a point uh, that we raised with uh, Chief uh, Burkhead and uh, District Attorney uh, DeBerry uh, last month when we talked about this. Uh, you know, it, it's troubling when you hear that 12, 13, and 14 year olds are riding around in uh, SUV at one and two o'clock in the morning being the uh, object of. Uh, of a shooting, uh, which in large part goes to community. And give me your reaction <laughs> uh, uh, to that. Well, I mean, the first thing from a parent, you know, the perspective of a parent, there was the outrage about how in the world could these kids be riding around? I mean, what, you know, just not being able to understand it from the parental standpoint. But then as I start to reconcile with my own heart and my own feelings and looking at it from the lens that we should all be looking at this, this from is what happened? How did we not support these children or those families? And so ultimately what ended up coming forward was that, you know, in one uh, one of the the, the kids, um, you know, their grandmother was, you know, raising them or, you know, and the grandmother is like, well, what she was asleep when I went to bed, you know, and, and it's and it's how do we how do we support that grandparent or that guardian who is raising the children? You know, there there is plenty of love there, but how do we support? So I have to shift the way that I view that in order for me to really get to the root of what I think might be happening is just there's there's not enough support there, whether, you know, whether it's from the community or from, you know, other other resources, I, you know, there's just that support that's needed to so that so that the environment that these children are choosing is less appealing because they know that there is a better way. This is not where they should be, but this is where they should be. And also too, legitimizing their own feelings and how these kids see their place in this world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important that we are, you know, we've got kids out there that are making adult decisions and that's the troubling thing. You know, their little, what is it, the frontal lobes hadn't even thought about closing yet, but they're making adult decisions. And that's also very troubling to me. 
that's also because that's that's a cycle that's generational that's going to perpetuate if it's not broken and stopped. Chief Andrews, as you were talking, I was reflecting back on something you said earlier, which is, you know, law enforcement is not equipped to do everything that needs to be done to solve the problems that are giving rise to the violence. Um, how, how do you balance between the role of uh, investigating and, and solving crime with serving the needs of the community such that it reduces crime? So one of the things that we, we, we do is, is anytime uh, a, a crime happens and, and because we're talking about, you know, some of the gun violence that we've had. So anytime those incidents happen, what we've learned is this is yes, we have an investigative component, but we also must tap into the resources that we actually have here at the police department and make sure that those are running side by side, right? Um, because the idea is that we wanna we wanna bring the perpetrator to justice, right? Um, but we also too wanna offer those wraparound services. And, and, and we do that, um, but we know if we just kind of take a realistic gut check is that we know that there is so much more out there that we would like to be doing um, with some of our, our services that we offer that we are just not, our reach is not long enough. Now we can make the connections, but we don't have someone there that can say, you know what, I'm gonna take you to this person. I'm gonna, I've made the connection. Now I wanna make you an appointment. I wanna just go with you there, right? Um, and, and so that's, that's, that's really some of what I'm talking about is just offering those, those long reaching, far reaching wraparound services um, as we start to investigate the crime, but also to make sure that our victims and vi families of victims um, know that they are supported by us. We would love to be able to do more and have a broader reach. Well, following up on the, 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 the need for the investigation from, from, your, uh, from your office, uh, are you still confronted with the uh, no snitch rule that uh, typically hinders the ability of uh, law enforcement to find uh, the individuals who are responsible for uh, these uh, criminal uh, activities. And then secondly, um, are these incidents or do these incidents result from organized efforts or just from individual occurrence? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I will answer the first. So yes, there is still kind of the code of, you know, let the streets handle it, right? We'll, we'll take care of it. Um, and and we, we do see that. Um, however, what I can say is that from our, our witnesses, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to have to get someone to come forward. And, you know, we have historically in police work, you have, you, you've heard officers say, well, the witnesses, they, they're not coming forward. They don't want to, they don't want to help their community. But now what we are, but now what you hear from our officers is that, well, I get why they don't want to come forward, right? I understand because they still have to live in that community, right? Um, and so we owe it to them 
to, you know, to say to them, we are going to do this investigation um, and, and we are, our goal is to bring that person to justice so that you can sleep well and rest well and be safe in your community. We also know that it boils down to trust issues, uh, not trusting the police department. And, and, and those are all very legitimate concerns for us. It will not and does not detract away from the work that we do every day to try and mend that, um, to try and repair and build those bridges, those bridges back. Um, you know, and so I think what's, what's important is that as we start to really look at um, violent crime and the effect of violent crime is we also look at how has the police lent a hand in that, right? How, what, what have we done in the past that has made it difficult to, to solve violent crime or to bring these perpetrators to justice? And we know that we need our witnesses. Well, can, can you just spend a few minutes talking about your plan to, to, to do that? How, how do you uh, heal the breach? <laughs> I guess is the way I would describe it. Heal the breach that uh, has occurred uh, with between the uh, police and the and the community. Well, you know, one of the things that that I learned in Morrisville, and I kind of already always knew, but um, we practiced it more in Morrisville was, don't be offended when people don't come to your discussion or your forum or your, you know, don't don't be offended by that. Lack of absence or absence, lack of participation doesn't mean that the person is not interested. It just may mean that you need to go to them. And so, you know, changing how we approach um, our, our um, healing, right? So we know that sometimes as police officers, we just have to go to our community and we have to be willing to go from a place of power right, and access. And when we look at people that have access and people that don't, we should be going, we should be making that first, second, and third step. And so we're committed to that by making sure that everything that we do, every community event that we're doing, um, every just informal conversation is had at the grassroots, at the ground level, and in the communities that need us, need to hear it from us the most in a non-law enforcement way. So whether that's taking the uniform off and going in and having just conversations in the living room or reaching out to some of our faith, uh, our faith groups um, to really help bridge it, bridge the gap for us, that's what we are committed to doing, but also um, showing, right? So I can talk all day long about you know, what I place value in and what I wanna do for, for those that I serve, but really it's being transparent on the back end. And when we're not doing things the way we should be, being open and honest about that and being willing to, 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 to call our own selves out and hold ourselves accountable. So I think it's the actions and the words, but also to knowing that it's not gonna happen overnight. And Chief Andrews, in your discussion with the community, what are you hearing regarding the um, escalating gun violence. Of, of course, the community is very concerned about that. How, what are you hearing and, and how is your department um, taking what the community is saying and using it to inform how you approach this issue? 
Yeah. So, so really what we're hearing is, um, you know, a sense of what do we do? You know, we don't, we don't even know where to start. And, you know, we, we have opened ourselves up and availed ourselves up to be able to make certain connections to services. Um, if we know a community member that would be a perfect advocate, um, then we make sure that we make that connection. Um, we also are, you know, we're, we're, we're no longer saying, well, you know, we don't have the staffing to do that. Um, you know, but we are also finding better ways in which to dedicate our resources. Um, so our, obviously we want to pour more resources into our community efforts um, and organizing community events, as well as focusing on some of our violent crime initiatives. And so I'll say this, um, one of the things that when we talked about coming together as a community, we talked to the businesses in Durham. I issued a, a challenge to our businesses in Durham. And so I said, you know, we've got to provide jobs, on the spot jobs for people. And so we are working towards planning uh, every quarter, you know, a community fair that will talk about and will provide jobs. Uh, we'll provide outreach for, you know, law enforcement related questions and mental health. So, so us being the conduit for that, and we are the gatekeepers for those services and making that happen in each one of our communities. All right. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour about the Durham community and the unfortunate rise of gun violence and just violence. We have with us here in our Zoom studio, the new Durham Police Chief, Patrice Andrews. We're gonna have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We hope you stay with us. Good evening. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and I'm a current second-year law student at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and this is your community's event spotlight. The North Carolina Museum of History and the North Carolina African American Heritage Commission invite you to join them virtually for the 21st annual African American Culture Celebration on January 29, 2022, from 10.30 a.m. to 4 o'clock p.m. for Black People, Green Planet, Environmental Justice. All presentations and performances are free to attend online with no additional programs or apps. Opening ceremonies will be live streaming at the website on Saturday, January 29th at 10.30 a.m. My name is Caitlin Chesney, and this was your Legal Eagle Review Event Spotlight. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking with Durham Police Chief Patrice Andrews. And we're talking about or addressing the issues of violence, gun violence in Durham. Uh, Police Chief Andrews, I wanted to, um, you, you've been very informative in terms of the focus of your department and and the issues that have to be addressed, the many issues that have to be addressed and the many hats that you and your organization have to wear. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on, with respect to gun violence in particular, what are some other ways that 
your department is able to reduce gun violence. What I'm thinking about in particular is the abundance of guns. Um, of course, there's a Second Amendment right for individuals to be able to possess guns for their self-defense in their homes. But it is so easy for individuals to get guns. Are there any efforts um, on the part of your department to try and reduce the actual number of guns that are on the street? Yeah, so, you know, that is always, you know, Second Amendment right to bear arms. You know, when we start to look at how guns are being used and possessed within our city, um, you know, obviously, you know, carrying of a concealed weapon is unlawful. Um, and there's a lot of guns out there. And, you know, what we've seen, unfortunately, is, you know, the, 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 the number of guns that are stolen out of unlocked cars is astronomical. Uh, you know, 50, 51% um, of the firearms that, that um, um, of, our, of our larceny from motor vehicles, so things that were stolen out of cars, um, involve firearms being stolen. And that's a tremendous number of guns just floating around out here. But here's what I would say, you know, just speaking to the actual investigation portion you know, the way to reduce the violence is to remove the guns, identify those guns that are being used and remove them from the hands that are of the people that are using them, as well as some prosecution, a prosecutorial arm. We are using and have been using um, a system called NIBIN, and that is through the ATF. And every gun that's fired leaves almost a fingerprint on the casing. So when that bullet goes out, it's ejected out, that's a casing, there's a finger, almost a, uh, every gun is different and it leaves its own little mark. And what we've done is um, internally, uh, our forensics teams is, is probably one of the best in the country. Um, we can do everything in-house except DNA, and that's also to analyze firearms. And so we have been using that system to track these guns that are being used in crime after crime. And so what we, we are finding is that we may have one gun being passed around and used in six or seven different crimes. Hmm. And, and we're able to trace those. And it also helps with identification of folks that are involved in these crimes um, because we can tie them to that, that gun. And so it helps enhance federal prosecution as well. Um, we also have put a, a focused effort in our prosecutions or in our investigations, um, by centralizing our criminal investigation. Um, and also our, you know, our task force officers, you know, we do have great relationships with our federal partnerships and our federal so we've been we've been using those and some of the technology that's available to us, but really having the discussions with the kids on our, you know, from Police Athletic League and our community resource unit, um, really having the conversations about guns and, and how guns can not only take a life, but certainly if you're found in possession of a gun, that's trouble. Uh, you know, just having the conversations with these kids on a real level uh, because they know a lot more than we give them credit for often, um, and talking to, to them about the, the after effects of, of violence and gun violence. And so we've, we're talking to the kids, but we're also, um, you know, really 
gathering some some much needed evidence for robust prosecution. Are are you finding that much of the uh, gun crimes, and I'm not talking just about those that end up in fatality, but uh, the other uh, violent crimes uh, as well, that uh, more younger people are engaged in those uh, incidents than previously? And if so, uh, how can, uh, what kind of help do you need to reach that younger segment of the uh, population that's probably uh, just uh, excited <laughs> or overexcited and stimulated uh, about having a gun in their presence. Yeah, you know, it's that that curiosity. And also, you know, I mean, we're in the age of where kids, you know, they plan video games in which you're using guns 90% of, of the time in those video games. There's this sensationalization of violence that we see everywhere. Um, and then that also, too, when we start looking at how guns are are portrayed, uh, you know, in, in, in mainstream media and, you know, it really is about having being able to separate the two is saying this this is not real. So these games that you're playing on the, the Xbox or whatever, you know, it's you, you, you watch these movies where someone says, is there a doctor on board or is there anybody that can fly this plane? Well, I can fly the plane and they go up, and they land the plane. Well, where'd you learn how to fly on my Xbox? You know, so that's that's kind of what I the similarity is that, you know, these kids are saying, I know I can use a gun. I know what to use a gun for. And then and then they the, it's it, the the apprehension about a gun is is removed. Right. So they're not afraid of a gun. And I, I think it really does boil down to just having these frank conversations, but also to making sure that people that have been to prison for gun crimes are ready and willing to testify to some of our younger generation that it is real. Guns can take you away from here, whether it's in a grave or behind bars. There is no life where guns are involved. And so I think it's a, it's a, it's a deeper conversation. Um, it certainly is not a one and done conversation because we are battling against, you know, the graphics and the media and the, you know, the glamorizing of the, of gunplay. Um, Chief Andrews, you mentioned that you all are, are no longer, um, saying, you know, we don't have the, the resources available, that you're focusing on what you do have and, and making sure you're using those resources in the most efficient way possible. Um, in, in a perfect world, though, you would have more resources. So what would you like to see if you were able to secure more resources in order to tackle this problem? So great question. So. I would, I would like to see us being able to, to have enough resources where we could spend a lot of time um, with our children, um, you know, whether it's, you know, it's starting new work with our police athletic league uh, and our, you know, having the Explorer program, really engaging more in our community efforts that we currently do having more staff to be able to do that, shifting some of the focus 
um, and, and really pouring into our communities at that level. Uh, because I do believe very strongly that um, police officers within the community doing that type of work um, can make a tremendous amount of difference. Uh, and, and so in my perfect world, if I had the staffing to do that, and that's where I would, I would put the bulk, right? Because if we can, if we can identify and dig out that, that, that bad root system, right? Um, it on the back end with the violent crime, we would start to see a reduction in the violent crime. If I had more officers that I could offer mental health services because we have a tremendous crisis intervention team here um, in the city of Durham. Um, our officers, many of our officers on crisis intervention team, the training that they've received, I mean, they do do great work in the community. I would love to have 10 more. I would love to have more officers on our community resource and community engagement unit to, to consistently have these conversations with our our young generation, because that's the generation that we're seeing um, that are involved in these violent crimes, unfortunately. And I hate that I, 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 I wish I had the numbers today, but and we, we've got the numbers that, that reflect that. How, how can or is it possible to work with uh, students, for instance, at North Carolina Central, criminal justice uh, uh, department, or at Duke, or at uh, uh, Durham Tech uh, to serve as intervenors with some of these uh, young people. Not all, I mean, I understand that they're there for ed an education uh, in terms of getting a, a degree, and uh, but this is an educational experience and a high, high need. Uh, is there some partnerships that you can envision uh, where this, this younger generation can be engaged to uh, in, 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 interact with the younger people to help give them some focus. Absolutely. You know, I, I envision, um, you know, where we actually have um, when our crisis intervention trained, it's much like what um, Director Ryan Smith, um, I, with Community Safety Department, he's doing fantastic work. Um, really developing and bringing together the community safety department, you know, but, but what I envision is really having more of a presence of our students. So at North Carolina Central University, obviously, and I love Duke, North Carolina Central University is near and dear to my heart because I, I see the work that NCCU does um, in the surrounding community. Um, and I know that those that the students there and the faculty too are very knowledgeable about you know who are our folks within those communities that we should go to in order to facilitate the engagement. So yes, so I see several partnerships on along those lines. Um, it's just you know it's a matter of getting it together and starting it or continuing the work and combining efforts. So yes, absolutely, absolutely. And when you think about the community, you're very involved with the community already. Is there something more that the community can do to support your department and, and more importantly, support the community as a whole and, and our young people? Yeah, so, so I would say one is invite us in. 
So if you as a community member are facilitating a discussion uh, you know, with, with your neighbors or with some of the younger, the kids in, in the, uh, in, um, in the community, invite us in just to even be present to, to, to help celebrate their accomplishments or, you know, or, or, or to talk about a specific topic. Uh, that is the first step, right? Is, is us being seen, but not seen in a law enforcement way but seen as a supporter. Um, I you know, attended a, uh, a, a great uh, tournament between two, uh, it was Taekwondo um, and it was community group. Um, and it was the, the, the tournament was between um, uh, R.N. Harris, kids from R.N. Harris and kids from um, uh, Burton Elementary. And they were just doing their Taekwondo. I wasn't there as in a, in a law, I wasn't there to give a speech. I was there to cheer on our kids. And so, and I was in uniform, but I was there to cheer them on. And so that's what I mean by inviting us in. That's the first step. The second is, you know, we need honest feedback. So as we start to want to develop initiatives that might affect the community in which you live, we want to have your feedback because I can't develop an initiative for your community without having you at the table. Uh, and you know what you need. And so I would say, take me up on that, right? Tell us what works and what isn't working or what you'd like to see. And I think that that's, that's important. Um, and being very honest about what we can make happen and quite frankly, what we can't make happen right now, but maybe down the road, if we can work towards that point, um, you know, it's a given, it's a given a take, but we have to be very honest and very real with each other and also to being open to allowing each other in to our space. I, I want to just get back to, for a minute to this resource uh, question, staffing uh, issues. And while, while you certainly make a strong case for uh, uh, making do with what, uh, what you have, uh, the reality is that you do have staffing shortages, and uh, we all recognize that uh, the past administration encountered uh, problems uh, in uh, in that regard. Uh, what is it with respect to staffing? Uh, because we don't need you riding around in patrol cars, uh, because you're the, you're the you're the you're the chief, and I understand that the 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 the, the, tele, the theater value. Uh, uh, of that, but uh, what is the real story about the uh, staffing shortage and the need that's, that's there? Yeah, well, you know, uh, police officers have left this profession for a number of reasons. Um, you know, there's pay, uh, which, you know, I'm so thankful for, for uh, our management team, for the manager's office, human resources, bringing a great pay proposal plan to council, which was approved last night. But there's there's, you know, police officers are leaving because they don't feel supported. Police officers are leaving to go to other professions altogether. Um, and, and so, you know, staffing is key because I can't have these programs and I can't necessarily investigate all of these crimes that are coming in without the staffing. So I do have to have it. But what I also too have to realize is that, you know, 
we do, and I say we, my, my, my team and I, um, we have to be willing to every now and again, you know, go back out on the streets and, and lend a hand where it's needed. Um, and that does a lot for me personally um, to, 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 to self reassure myself that I've still got it. Uh, that I haven't necessarily lost it, you know. Um, but also, I think it's 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 good for our our officers to see that we are committed to supporting them. And so, you know, there's some other things that we are doing to recruit and retain uh, through incentives that I'm hoping in the long run will start to pay off. Uh, and I think we've got a great start going, and we'll continue it. But I I, I am very hopeful about retaining our officers, but also hiring more. Um, Chief Andrews, we just have a few minutes left. Can you just very quickly talk about the type of person who makes an effective law enforcement officer? Mm, yes. So I will tell you, um, gone are the days that we hire people for grit, right? For that brute. But what what makes an effective officer is someone that because uh, see, I can I can teach policy, I can teach procedure, I can teach those things because that's practical application. What I can't teach is character. I can't teach someone to understand the history of law enforcement and own that history and be committed to changing it. I can't teach that. So, you know, it, uh, the officers that we are looking for are officers that are committed to, to changing the profession that they wish to be a part of, that are also committed to being leaders within our organization, and also want to do the work in order to be able to, 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 to get there, right? We are looking for officers that, that possess an array of skills. So it used to be that you hired someone just from criminal justice. But now what we find is that there is tremendous value in hiring officers that have a sociology background or psychology background or tech, some sort of technology uh, or STEM background, right? So we are looking for officers that are multifaceted, uh, that, that are able to, to police with their heart um, and that are able to be problem solvers and critical thinkers. Well, thank you very much for that. And unfortunately, we are out of time, but we'd like to thank our guest, Chief Patrice Andrews. She is the Durham Police Chief. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.